Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the program. This is the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And we've got one, one week left. One week left before Mr. Harvey actually shows up in studio again. That's the hope. <laughs> I mean, I was really, I, again, we were, you know, last week I had the conference to prepare for, and, and this week I'm actually getting off this, and then I got to go and jump onto another call uh, a little bit later uh, involving an edit I'm working on. But yeah, it's just, you know, you, you go out of town for, for, five days and everything you know things keep happening without you so yeah. you gotta yeah. you gotta catch up so yes and i think we're going to have an interesting conversation tonight because this is something that's been uh vexing me for a number of years now not just not just recent um but um i want just to set this up because i know we talk about you know, remakes and reboots and requels and, you know, reimaginings and all those things that are going on now. And people sit there and say, well, aren't, doesn't Hollywood have any, anything new and, and such. And I want to go back to 1991, 1990, mm-hmm. well, 1990 into 91. I had written back then, back then we had Star Trek, the next generation had, an open submissions policy. And basically they said, whether you have an agent or not, mm. you can submit a script unsolicited. You can, you get two and we'll take a look. And if it's anything that we like and we want to buy it, we'll, we'll buy it. So I sat and I, I, I wrote a, wrote a script for the next generation and I sat on it for a year that was a mistake because I got it in my head. Yeah, I think I better go pull that out. So I pulled it out and I revised it to, because now the cast of characters had changed because, you know, Anson Rowe was there now. And my specific script was called The Center Seat. And what I did is I created a disaster that ended up putting Deanna Troy in command of the ship for the very first time ever. And as soon as I finished it, Season 5, Episode 5, Disaster, put Deanna Troy in command of the ship for the very first time. And I thought, well, there we are. And I had another idea. And this was an idea for a book, because I had, you know, I would write. You know, th- back then, you were possibly, maybe had a shot at getting a a, a short story in the Strange New Worlds anthologies, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, it'd be really fun to to write a Star Trek novel. So I was noodling around some ideas, and I had this idea. Data's got his emotion chip now, and we come up on the anniversary of Tasha Yar's death. And he just can't take it anymore. He's so overwhelmed by the emotions because it's all brand new to him, right? Now he can finally grieve. But then he has a thought. What if I use the Guardian of Forever and go back and save her before she dies? 
And then Peter David comes out with Imzadi and does the exact same thing with Riker and Troy. I was like, <laughs> well, if you cast your mind back <clears throat> prior to you even writing your story for Star Trek: The Next Generation, there was an original series novel by a very fine writer named Diane Duane, who has written some of my favorite Star Trek novels of all time. And she wrote Doctor's Orders. Yes. And Doctor's Orders, of course, is McCoy <laughs> right. finds himself in command of the Enterprise. And part of you goes, no. <laughs> and then you read the novel and go, all right, I buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Because the setup on that was done very well. That basically, hey, you know, this is a milk run. Nothing's happening. Nobody's going to do anything. And here. And the doctor, he, he's got he's he's got a command rank. Which yep. means he's, they, you know, this is the, you, know, you have to, for your command crew, they have to be able to do this stuff because you never know what's going to happen out in the, in the reaches of space. Although McCoy does make the point, I'm not in the chain of command. And Kirk's like, oh, I can put anybody in charge that I want to. I'm the captain. <laughs> he's like, you've got reports to make. Here you go. This chair is nice and comfortable. I'll see you later. <laughs> and then the Klingons show up. Well, it, and one thing that hit me. By the way, I just have to say, if you folks have not read Diane Duane's Star Trek novels, oh, yes. go find them. All of them. All she of wrote them, yes. the, her Rihansu series, where, where we didn't, the, the original series did not give us a lot of backstory on the Romulans. And it wasn't until you get into the next generation and beyond that we got more detail on Romulan society. So she basically tread brand new ground. Yep. And created one of the all-time best spin-off characters who begged for her own book series. Leel <laughs> Turalu should have had her own book series because it would have been basically... Can you imagine just that? that, that that's an entire book line. Of, oh, yeah. Yeah. A badass Romulan commander out there going, I think let's do cool things. Well, and, and that's a that's an interesting little side side conversation, because at the time when all of these things were going on um, the, for gobs of years, there have been people who have been wanted uh, who've wanted a Captain Sulu series of books. Right. And they did a couple. Yeah, there were and two. And they did an audio book. And, then, and they were good, by the way. I, they, they, yeah. I, thought, I quite enjoyed this. Well, Peter the David did one of them, The Captain's Daughter. And I actually wrote in to Pocket Books. And John Ordover was the editor at the time. And he's been a guest on this channel. He's doing stand-up comedy now. But um, I wrote to him. I said, you know, the, you, you guys have started doing this, the, the Captain Sulu stories. Are you, are you taking submissions for any of that? And he actually wrote back and gave me an explanation and said, we've actually we've decided not to go forward with any of those because the the previous titles that we've done so far haven't met the sales threshold to indicate that anybody is interested in this enough that we can do more. And then a few years later, they did the whole um, uh, Peter David did the whole thing with what was it? New Frontier with the the crew of the Excalibur. Mm hmm which essentially did kind of the same sort of thing, which, you know, different ship, different crew, but you had familiar characters because Shelby was there and, and, uh, um, oh, Leffler, Robin Leffler, and, and, you know, uh, Judd's character. 
Right. Uh, so you had some familiar characters mixed in with some of the new ones, and it was a brand new ship and all that. Okay, fine. But nobody's ever given us a Captain Sulu story. But it struck me when Imzadi came out. Because I was sitting there thinking, well, it's a natural progression of thought for some of us to think, well, this character does this, and this situation happens here, and you go one to the next to the next to the next. One plus one plus one is two, or three. And I'm not the... One plus one plus one plus one is three. Okay. And I can't be the only one who comes up with this with this idea. Right. And further along that thought, the idea of an original idea. And this is back 20 years ago when I had this insight. And, and I still believe to this day, there is no such thing as an original idea. There's just an original combination of elements to tell a story that we might or might not have seen before. Because we see a lot of... You know, a lot of callbacks, a lot of, you know, winks and whatnot, some accusations of, well, this story lifted this from this and this from this. I mean, we're we're well past the days of Art Buckwald suing over coming to America. May May I throw a quote at you? Sure. There is no such thing as a new idea. It is impossible. We seem to take a lot of old ideas and put them to some sort of mental kaleidoscope. We give them a turn, then make a new and curious combinations. We keep on turning and making new combinations indefinitely, but they are the same old pieces of colored glass that have been in use throughout all the ages. Mark Twain, from his <laughs> yeah. autobiography. Yeah. So this is not a new con. This is not a new conversation, no. and some of it actually comes out of the fact that, and I'm not. I'm not entirely sure I agree with the, the the this viewpoint entirely, but I can understand why it exists. So there are the theory goes that there are only so many kinds of story to tell. Period. There are three. The idea, you you've got basically uh, uh, man versus man, man versus uh, self, man versus nature man versus um oh goodness man versus monster i'm sorry uh, uh man versus self man versus man man versus nature man versus the supernatural um which of course is well mythology in many ways sure. of course, when you will go up against a, a divine being uh man versus technology and man versus society so those are the big the big concepts of literary conflict which we build our right. stories around. I would but say that you could that, you could lump in supernatural and mythology and society all of that into man versus nature. Any any kind of well, external force or external circumstance, yeah. Well, but the natural world, say example, of course the Ur example of this is Moby Dick, right? Mm. It's a man but it's also man versus himself. So it's right. a combination story because it's, you know, it's, it's it's a struggle of his own his own mindset. And then there's this thing called the seven basic plots. Um <laughs> yeah. which uh is overcoming the monster. Okay. Right. Rags to riches. The quest. Uh, voyage and return, mm-hmm. and if you're if it's if some of these are like ringing little bells, 
cast your mind back to the your child your ch child's book of myths that you got when you were a wee <laughs> a wee uh, creature on this earth, and there was some of these you know you got Odysseus you've got uh, uh, you know pretty much any Greek myth you want um, comedy tragedy yep rebirth which of course can cover a range of things and these are there's some debate whether or not these seven little blocks of types of story are really what we want to do this was this was actually a, a 2004 book called the seven basic plots by christopher booker yeah and there's been some pushback on this because he said he He's basically trying to quantify the kinds of stories we tell and everything else between your little, you get into your conflicts and then you put these in here and you, you, you kaleidoscope them all about, like Twain right. said, and well, you come I, up with it, you come up with new variations on things, right? I, I hesitate to accept those as the seven plots because you can break those down even more simply into oh, well, yeah. man versus man, man versus self, man versus nature. I mean, well, that's, but so, that's but the, so the, the but the corner. versus thing, the the implication there is that you're actually looking at the kind of conflict you can have within these seven plot ideas, right? And so you have your so you know what's happening here with lists like this with with these concepts mm -hmm. is people are looking at the kind of stories that human beings tell right <clears throat> and trying to sit there and say what do these stories have in common how we like lists welcome you know the internet the internet has if nothing else the internet has proven that we like lists <laughs> uh, but the idea being that we and we like we like things to make sense we try to organize things so that there's some sort of logic and, and rationale to our world whether they're you know especially when it feels like there might not be and so i i get it but i also think that you're looking at in all of these things you're looking at big buckets that you can drop a lot of different kinds of storytelling into right i mean you can have um you know uh i mean let's look at uh, john carpenter's the thing Okay, you've got overcoming the monster, you've got man versus man, you've got man versus self, you've got man versus monster, you've got man versus, you know, there's, you can, you can spin that story in a lot of different ways. Yeah. You look at something like Star Wars, what are you looking at? What's, what, what's the breakdown there? Is it, uh, you know, it's a quest, uh, it's voyage and return, uh, Empire Strikes Back makes it a tragedy, uh, rags to riches, you've got uh, the the classic story of the poor farm boy who goes off and, and becomes the hero of the galaxy or you could go back to welsh myth and consider the character of Taryn, who is the pig farmer who becomes the king of the british isles mm -hmm. because you know i mean these these story you know and and lucas was never shy about letting you know where his you know the origins of these stories are well and you no know, and and the influences even if he had never said what his influences were you can discern quite a bit from the visuals and the story structure and that sort of thing i mean you've got the hero's journey which 
again, is another template, I guess you could say, for uh, a type of story that you're going to tell because that that involves archetypes of certain kinds of characters and and mm. archetypes for the characters that gets into a completely different realm because your archetypes can fit into whatever kind of story you're to, you're going to tell based on you know the needs of the story but the the ideas involved in coming up with a plot i i still think that those kinds of things like what you're talking about those seven things those are still to me story elements you know Mazurus mentions transformation transformation also is i mean that i guess that fits into rebirth of of sorts but that's a kind of that's a story element for me that's not a plot so much as it's a piece of a story well the thing is is that the, is that all of these end up being like I said, super broad things that you can you can break down into lots of different pieces. They can yeah. be your plot. They can be elements of your plot. This is all of this stuff is mix and match and throw you know write it all down on a piece on but little pieces of paper. Throw it in a bag. Shake the bag. Pull out six things and you know hope for the best. <laughs> it's like those it's like those forty eight hour film contests we do or the ten hour film festivals where you, right. you sit mm -hmm. there and you pull out. Uh, a prop and a line of dialogue and uh, a type of character and go. Um, right. But, you know, you look at something like the hero's journey, for example, and the hero's journey can be going someplace and returning. It can be a rebirth of sorts. It can be versus monster. So I'm going to go on a journey. I face the monster. I come back and I am reborn as this hero figure. I mean, it's again, it's a combination well, of things. But you look at you look at I mean, that kind of story right there describes a significant chunk. I mean, you can I mean, a really fairly sizable chunk of the Greek myths, yeah. which is always this this hero going off on a journey for whatever reason, whether it's Heracles going off because he murdered his family in a fit of you know madness. Um, or you've got Odysseus, or you've got, you know, the Trojan War, you've got all these different things where there's always a journey, there's mm -hmm. a change, the character is changed by the journey, they come back. And this is sort of this, you know, and, and in many ways, you've got these big, um, these big kind of epic ideas that can scale up and scale down. Yeah. I mean, well, you can, some of this stuff could be really, really tiny, and you end up with really intimate stories, but they still cover some of these same right. grounds. I think you could apply it not just to the mythology, but also to British literature, because you look at, or, or, or European literature, or let's broaden the scope a little bit, because you look at um, Les Miserables, for example, mm -hmm. or The Count of Monte Cristo, which I've read both of them. They're essentially the exact same story, and I... I hate saying that because I enjoy both of them. I like The Count of Monte Cristo better than I do Les Mis, but they're the same story. And you get into, you know, rebirth, reinventing himself, and, and all that kind of thing. But you look at something like Great Expectations or uh, 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 A Christmas Carol, for example. 
or you look at any of the Arthurian legends, I mean, how many of those involve traveling and, and conquering the monsters? I mean, you look at the Green Knight. We've got that movie that just came out here with... Or, uh, or, the, or Beowulf, or a lot of the the um, the Nordic sagas. Yeah. You know, so, so many of these things. And, and some of it is because this stuff appeals to us in as people. Uh, there seems to be, you know, it, and it's a recurring appeal, right? This, yeah. and, and, then, and that's why I end up with these, like, big buckets to drop things in, is because we keep telling these kinds of stories and there's something about us that looks at the hero's journey you know man versus himself um you know we want to laugh we want to cry we want to have these emotional reactions but we also want to go on a we want to go on a journey with a character whether that's you know internal or external we want conflict with a character whether it's internal or external and i think that you can get one of the great things about science fiction fantasy and horror is sometimes you can do really, really intimate stories writ large yeah, and put them on gigantic uh, uh, backdrops. And but, but you can look at an individual. I mean, ultimately, what is the story of Bilbo Baggins? It's <laughs> a quiet little guy who never does anything in his life suddenly discovers there's a world out there. Yeah. And that he's braver than he thought he was. And when he comes home... He realizes that while this is home, he's had an adventure that other people haven't, and it makes him feel good about himself. I mean, there's, you know, strip, he's strip away the, the 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 dragons and stuff. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of know? what? Speaking speaking of dragons, I mentioned King Arthur before. Here, it, that I I say there's no such thing as a new idea. I say it's a new combination of elements, and and here's something that kind of skates skates the line here. Okay, so this is on Twitter, and somebody just randomly there. There's a thread about King Arthur, mm. and somebody says, "Little did you know, Pendragon, and then Pendrag means chief dragon. Dracula means dragon. I'm not. I'm not sure of the veracity of this. I haven't. I haven't it's stopped. Dracu- Dracula is actually son of the dragon, but that's okay." King Arthur was Arthur Pendragon. Somebody says Dracula was not the first vampire in England. <laughs> but but what if I mean and, and they're talking about you know what we need now I need to see King Arthur versus Dracula. Right? Because why not? But again the, the writer the writer Christopher Golden had a series uh where he reimagined vampire myths. Yeah. And I it, and it, a lot of it worked. Um and some of it didn't. But there's a character that that sort of appears, sort of wanders in and out of the storyline, mm-hmm. uh, whose initials are JC. Um, dies, comes back three days later, right. lives forever. Really kind, ultimately a very uh, you know gentle person who who helps guide our our hero just enough, just just enough. Never actually says who it is, but the it's kind of like here. Would you like this anvil? <laughs> right it's it's very heavy but i mean it, it and and that's actually one of the story elements that works i'm like i see what you did there yeah. um so you yeah no i honestly uh, a king arthur vampire set story um quite frankly i like historical stories i like things you know i'm i'm an arthur fan um i mentioned the welsh myths earlier and i mm-hmm. mentioned the chronicles of pride uh on on the show before 
Um, and quite frankly, if Dear Hollywood, there's an untapped fantasy series that if you were to get it, because the Black Cauldron, Disney Disney made a movie. Yeah. But it, they made it's not a good it's not a good adaptation. See, I have, I I wouldn't say that it's an institutional resistance yet, but the older I get, and the more we do this, you know, we come across these stories all the time, where where sure. some studio has won a bidding war to adapt this book, and. I've lost count of how many times a story has been optioned by the studio before the book is ever even published. Right. And I'm thinking, what? okay, why won't Hollywood invest their time and effort and, and resources, at least in part, it doesn't have to be everything, but why does everything seems like it's an adaptation of something or a remake of something? Give me, give me a $20 million picture that's not based on a book, not based on a comic book, not based on a po podcast, not based on a, on a radio show, not based on a whatever. Sure. Give well, me something. The, the thing just, is, that, is that they're out there. The problem is, is that they don't get the giant press push or the big, you know, they're, they're not getting, you know, the Marvel studios, uh, yeah. uh, promotional tour. They're not getting the, everybody's got the buzz about the new Spider-Man picture. Right. You know, it's like, they're not getting, they don't get that kind of exposure, but looking back over, um, the last, what, 10 years. Um, let's see, uh, St. Maud werewolves within, um, the Demeter, which is coming out um um psycho gorman yeah you know i'm looking at uh, uh i'm looking at several different lists here the stylist we uh uh joe Gavirgin, who is we we know her yes um she's she's here in kansas city she's made the horror film the stylist based on what her own short film um there's a bunch of different horror films that don't get there's a ton of them um, but they don't get, say, the exposure of the Halloween sequels, you know, and you get into uh, science fiction films and you look at films like, you know, we, we had a spate of time travel movies a while back oh, with yeah. films like Time Crimes and Primer and a bunch. And some of them were, were relatively low. Primer had a micro budget, right? Looper didn't have a very big budget either, did it? No, I mean, and no, not particularly. I mean, it, the probably its biggest expense was cast. You know, yeah, yeah the cost, yeah, because because it was a pretty, pretty pricey cast on that one. But I mean, the, the stuff is out there, but it doesn't have the reach. And I think that one of the things that that's interesting, and you can argue, the you can argue the growing infinite number. Yeah, I'm going to go with that sentence. It doesn't actually make sense. Growing <laughs> infinite number of sure. streaming services. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is that so much of that stuff gets folks the opportunity to see the smaller pictures and the smaller TV series and things like that. Now, the downside is I have some bad news, folks. 
There's a lot of movies made every year that you don't see for a reason. It's because they're bad. <laughs> and but the thing is, is that they're they're out there in the world, and you can run them for a dollar ninety nine, and maybe for a dollar ninety nine or three ninety nine, you don't sit there. You know, you know what? This was worth a buck ninety nine or three ninety nine to me. It's not a good movie, but I will, I, I will I, say, it killed a Sunday afternoon. Well, you know? and on occasion, there are those really terrible films that make it across the transom and I will forever hold as my standard for terrible films. You will never, well, it you're going to be hard pressed to come up with a, with a film that is worse than the unsinkable Shecky Moskowitz, which is no um, longer called the unsinkable Shecky Moskowitz. It's actually now called Overboard, which is the same kind of title as the Kurt Russell Goldie Hawn movie, but it's not the Kurt Russell Goldie Hawn movie. It's a Norm Macdonald Adam Sandler film from eighty. When, when did when did the first Batman movie come out? Eighty nine. Unsinkable Shecky yeah. Moskowitz came out at the same time, and okay. I've talked about this first before. of all. Ad- Adam Sandler has made one good movie. Sorry, folks. <laughs> no, He's only made one yeah. good movie. Uh, and I, I will die on that hill. Um, and, uh, well, okay, maybe he's made one and a half. But just like I maintain that uh, uh, a certain a certain director who likes to blow things up has made one and a half good action <laughs> movies. Um, but the... Yes, no, I, I, I've not seen the film, but you've talked about it before, and I, yeah. I, I just don't need to. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm, no. I'm clearly good on, on not seeing it. Um, it's a but I think, there, I think there's some interesting stuff happening in terms of, of this big explosion of content. Yeah. And while this stuff just sits there and fly, can fly under the radar because it doesn't get the big promotion. I mean, of course, the Marvel movies have gigantic promotion budgets, and they've got this, it essentially is a behemoth at this point mm-hmm. okay you and i have talked about the fact that the expectation of the superhero bubble bursting is long overdue oh based, yeah. yeah based on previous history now the world has changed how we consume our entertainment has changed consequently the rules change what held on before doesn't held on you and i used to be able to go down to a movie theater and there, there'd be a film in that theater for six months at least yeah. And but that was also in the era before the multiplex. And so right. the multiplex changed how things are going to be because you could put more films out into the world where people could see those films. Therefore, you had to have more movies so you could pack those seats. The economics and model yeah. changed. And ex- so well, all of this is changing, right? And that's... But the thing is, is that at some point, Marvel is the superhero film will yeah. fall out of the 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 popularity that is it might not crash completely on popularity there might still be like a string of superhero films till the end of time yeah i think we're seeing some of that now though because uh and and blame it on the pandemic blame it on whatever factors you think are going into it but it seems to me that in in the case of the marvel movies once you get past endgame Endgame feels like a last film. You've got 10 years of Marvel movies, 22, 24, however many films there are in that. And Endgame feels like it's over. 
the show finale. This is goodbye, farewell, and amen, and mash, right? It's, it's the last episode of the show. And now with Phase 4 ramping up, it feels like this is, this is the next generation for Star Trek. You know, it's the next one. It's the next iteration. And all of the characters are different, and all of the, all of the everything is different now. And it doesn't feel to me like this is as big of a deal, as big of a juggernaut, as as interesting for some people. And that could just be me, how, how I'm seeing the press roll out and, and social media discussion and back and forth and whatnot. And of course, some of these characters are much more obscure. But it just doesn't feel like this has the same amount of punch. And, and DC still has yet to manage to pull off a win, at least in the studio's eyes. So maybe we're finally getting to that point that, that our friend Kendall was talking about uh, however, however many years ago. And maybe the, maybe the pin is poised right there on I, I the bubble. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. And, and oh, okay, so I, the, the Legends of Shang-Chi I saw, I really liked that movie. Yep. I had so much fun watching that film. Um, it has, however, it has the Marvel movie story flaws that mm. are, they're, they're, okay, Marvel movies are a formula. And the thing is, it's a it's a successful formula. It's worked out really, really well, but it is a formula. And consequently, that formula doesn't always fit as well as you would like it to with a story and a set of characters. There's the, for all that, I, I guess, minor, minor spoiler for Shang-Chi. I, I'm going to say, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's a lot of fun. Um, there's, there's a certain amount of joy to that movie, which I was a little surprised about, which which I really, really liked. Yeah. Um, the character, the characters seem to be having fun. <laughs> <laughs> the actors seem to be having a good time. I always like that. Um, but Marvel has a problem with having villains that are not particularly. They're more interesting than the story gives them places to go. So, for example, the, the character of the Mandarin. Sure. As, who is revealed in this film, you see enough of the character to go, this is kind of an interesting, oh, oh, movie's over. Yeah. And the, char- the character's arc is, is, at least for this film, coming to an end. And you're like, ah, uh, wait. Yeah. And I think that, that there's some of the, from what I've, and I haven't, I haven't seen uh, Eternals yet. Um, and from what I've seen with Eternals, uh, just a lot of the, a lot of the, the analysis I've read, I, I, again, trying not to read too much because I want to see the film before I get into, you know, why people like it and don't like it. But I've, I've read a little bit. Um, it seems to suffer from the same problem that um, Kenneth Branagh ran into with Thor, hmm. which is you bring in these directors who are really good at something really good to kind of they've proven themselves to tell really you know brana brana made some of the definitive shakespeare movies his his henry v is a work of art it's one of my favorite films of all time his hamlet is amazing 
is Frankenstein? Well, <laughs> it's fun. It's 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 fun yeah. and it's big and it's loud, but you know, it's not it's 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 schlock, but it's fun schlock. And his Dead Again is one of the best thrillers, I think, uh uh in, yeah, in that de- decade. Dead really. Again is fun. Yeah. Dead Again is fantastic. Movie. But and you would think to some degree that Thor might be a fit for that. But then you look at the films that people have really liked with the character of Thor in the Marvel Universe and you go, actually, no, that's not what the Watt audience actually wants for Thor. But I think Thor is kind of an interesting character study because what we get in Thor in the first movie is the prologue, I guess, to Thor's arc. It's not... Mm-hmm. We don't have all of his development there. And and Thor, the Lost World, kind of Dark World or whatever there is, the second one, not so much. <laughs> but you get into Ragnarok... Okay. You, have just, you have just crossed titles <laughs> with two of the lesser chapters in two different franchises. And quite frankly, there's a segment of the audience that didn't even notice. Thor, the Lost World. Now, would that be? I would, would have wanted be, to see that. Would that be the? Would that be Michael Crichton's Lost World, or would that be Arthur Conan Doyle's Lost World? Because those oh, are two no. different things. So you want Thor with uh, Doyle's Lost sure. World? Sure. Because yeah. then, yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> but here, but here, yeah, but I think that you know, honestly, if you want, I, I would be very curious to see what happened if you flip the directors for the first two Thor films. Hmm. Because quite frankly, yeah. the big epic, the, in theory, big epic nature of, of the second Thor movie might have been a better fit for Brana. And, and I think that you've got a challenge with something like The Eternals, where you and I, and some people know who the, the Eternals are, but they have never been a big comic book series. Hmm. Jack Kirby created these guys but they never quite caught on. Although I have to say the current Eternals comic series right. is really interesting and the artwork is gorgeous, but it's, I mean, I am, I am the most interested in the Eternals as a comic book with the current series. I am 51. <laughs> there have been like six different eternal series in my lifetime. It is at this point in my life yeah. that I'm actually reading an Eternal series and going, I want to read the next issue. See, and that's funny because, uh, like we talked about on on the readers list that we were talking about last week, uh, what what Mindy and I had talked about it was we were coming out of what movie did we go see? Because it was just here a few a, a couple of a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks. Oh, oh, it was Dune. We were coming out of Dune, mm-hmm. and I was we were talking about. The fact that in high school, I read all of these literary works, these great classics of literature. And I wondered at the time, and I still have this in the back of my head. You mentioned, you know, now we're 51 years old. You're starting to see these these stories in comic books that are interesting. It it has me wondering, as I'm now older than I was 30 years ago, (laughs) what my perspective would be to read again some of these stories. Great Expectations, um, Mm -hmm. uh, The Miser, um, The Good Earth. 
what was the one uh, with the albatross? The albatross. You know, you've got you've got all of these things. And I don't know that I would. I don't know that I would appreciate them any more, but maybe differently. I'm mm. pretty sure I would still hate or, Moby Dick. But you well, look again, at something like like um, The Great Gatsby, for example. You know, my perspective now as a person who has gone through all of the different things that I've gone through is much different than it is sure. when I'm 17. And, right. you know, there's no life experience at all to speak of. So I, I, some, of the, some of the things with movies could probably be the same way. But it also makes me wonder, when you get to a certain point creatively, and we've talked about this as far as studio executives holding on to their youth, you know my big theory about sure. all of that. Mm -hmm. It has to play into the kind of decisions that are made creatively on what kind of stories you want to tell. I'm going to tell oh, these sure. stories that I'm familiar with. I'm going to tell these stories I grew up with. I'm going to tell the same stories over and over and over and over and over again. And we talked about, you know, the the Marvel movies having a, a formula. Mm -hmm. And my my thinking on that has always been that the Marvel movies are a TV series and you have different episodes and Kevin Feige is the showrunner. I mean, it's it's basically what that is. DC has yet to figure that out. Well, but, I think I think DC is inching its way there by just going, let's just make movies and, and not try and tie it all together. Right. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons why Marvel movies might be running out of steam soon. Maybe not now, but they're going to be closer to the end, I think, more than DC will, because I think everybody's given up on DC at this point. It's like DC's never going to get their act together. All we have is the so, Marvel and stuff. So any, and anytime they the bring out a good film, they're going to go, "Ooh, DC." Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, uh, well, I think that and I think that Marvel's got an issue right now with they're they're trying to do something with the you know bringing in, you know, well, start you know Kevin Branagh. You've got uh, uh, you know James Gunn. You've got uh, 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 Chloe Zhao with Eternals. They're bringing in these directors who have made their name somewhere else mm -hmm. doing a certain kind of movie. And they've actually, you know, and, and critically acclaimed, highly praised people who have done really fine work. And they bring them in and then they put them into a the Marvel mold. Yeah. And James Gunn made it work. Kenneth Branagh clearly struggled with it in, in Thor. It sounds like what I've seen that, that Chloe Zhao tried to make her kind of movie within a Marvel film, which is why they hired her. That's kind of the point. Yeah. And they it didn't necessarily mesh well. Again, I haven't seen the film. I can't speak to it that way. Yeah, I that haven't either. That seems to be what I'm hearing. Yeah. I'm, well, see, I'm hearing a lot of very positive feedback about her character work as mm -hmm. a director because that's her strength. Mm -hmm. And maybe not so much the big action sets, right? And and quite frankly, if you look at her previous work, the stuff she's won like a lot <laughs> of awards for, they're not action pictures, right? So it may not have been. I mean, so but then again, you also have someone like Edgar Wright, who was brought in for the first Ant Man and walked because Marvel tried to put 
Edgar Wright into a certain box. And Edgar Wright was like, well, no, thank you. I, I, I must be off. Well, part you know? of that, too, I think also was the fact that Edgar Wright had this idea for Ant-Man before there was a Marvel Cinematic Universe. And suddenly you had to retrofit it into that box, not well, just... You know, here, um, we're hiring you fit in the box. Wright had the idea first, and then Feige comes in and says, all right, we got to tinker with it. Well, I think I think that that's kind of one of the problems I'm, I'm, I'm seeing from some of the stuff I'm, I've read about Eternals is that we're trying to take characters and insert them into a story where they don't... There, there are, yes, there are definitely cracks mm-hmm. in the Marvel Universe storyline to put you can you can wedge things in eternals you know we we saw it in the trailer why didn't you try and stop thanos um i I was out of town that day um oh no well no she says in the trailer we were told not to interfere i know but that's kind of a certain amount of yeah, well, you yeah, know, it's hand-wavy, universal yeah. annihilation. Come on, guys. It's, it's the same thing. It's well, and it's the same discussion people are having about how are you going to put the X Men in? Because Marvel's got the X Men back, right? Right. But the thing is, is that the X Men story basically implies a history of mutants that goes back. Well, and that's going to be the variants in the multiverse. That's how they're going to bring in the X Men. Well, and potentially how they should bring in, you know the Fantastic Four like we want to in the 1960s. <laughs> yes. Well, start, start him in the 1950s right at the beginning of the space race. Young young Reed Richards looks up and goes, I'm going to go to the stars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it does it does speak to this idea of the familiar where we see these mm-hmm. things and oh, I've seen this before. Oh, I know what's going to happen. And, and then the right. familiar becomes becomes not not contemptible but it's one of those things where now it it becomes something that's uninteresting you know yes cliched and everything so well and and even even where we've seen and 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 folks it's been a while so i think we get to swing back around to this for at least a minute um when you when you make something that really leans is is built upon the history of, of a certain kind of storytelling and fail mm-hmm. to market it as the, where things started, the or, original, you know, when you go with, with John Carter, you know, that, that was something that was actually built. You know, the, 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 the there, there's an ad campaign that we've talked about this before, <laughs> uh, an ad campaign built there to say, the character who inspired yes. the creation of... And that is so much more a better trailer than anything that Warner Brothers came up with. But but again, that goes back to that whole the studio executive interference level of things where, you know, I like this idea. This is something that I, that I enjoyed when I was a kid. And now this guy is fired the new guy comes in as i've never heard of this before we're not gonna we're not gonna put any money into this and whatnot well and and there's there's also the the unfortunate fact that and this is not a new invention this has been going on for as long as there has been an entertainment industry um there is a long history of studios not trusting the audience what (laughs) I, i have some bad news folks yeah they don't trust you. They want yeah. your money, 
and and sometimes they deliver on on that investment of your time and, and dollars but sometimes it's you have to admit that the studios just look at you and go you guys aren't smart enough to get what we're talking about it's like mm, yeah. trust your, trust the audience well and um, chris christopher hoffman put in the in the chat does this mean we should expect a forever movie forever people movie from dc <laughs> i'm going to tell you christopher having record you know um probably not <laughs> i kind of hope not because frankly of the forever people are some of my least favorite kirby creations if we if we ever get a fourth world movie yeah. or a fourth world series or something they can be in it well they were going to do new I gods want... with with uh ava duvernay and and tom king writing i mean tom king you know was in the cia well but i think that the, <laughs> i uh, it, as far as I can tell, that's off the slate. Yes, it right? is. It is. It, it, got, canceled, was, it got canceled and, and, last year, I think. Didn't she say that that part of that comes out of the fact that a lot of it was tied into um, uh, Zack Snyder the, Snyder, the yeah. Snyder cut? So, yeah. um, now if Warner Brothers ever decides to do anything else in the Snyderverse, then maybe that comes back as a part of it. But I think you know. I think that uh, I kind of right, hope. I not. love Jack. I love Jack Kirby. <laughs> I think Jack Kirby's art is amazing. I think that there has been a real challenge with adapting Kirby's really impressive visual style. You'd have to, to do it almost as an animation. Hill. Yeah, I mean that, and I think I think there's a potential there. In fact, quite frankly, if Marvel wants to make a New Gods, uh, Forever People, um, uh, another Eternals film as an animated project, I think they might actually have. Oh, it could be really cool. Well, they uh, are delving into also... more animated pictures after What If. They're they're looking at right. other, you know, developing other animated series now. So, mm -hmm. well, I think I, again, I think that we can, we we have this ability here, and maybe maybe we see the superhero big budget picture start to dwindle yeah. because eventually it's going to happen. But this 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 you know these streaming services where you've got to have content. There's an audience for this stuff. So you can have like a series of TV movies or TV series. You got a She-Hulk series coming up. The success of WandaVision, of of you know the these these TV series, six episode eight episode series yeah. that, that they're producing for TV. I mean, you know, we got we got a a Bucky and Falcon series that is a setup for a movie. Right. It's a TV show that's a setup for a movie. You know, excuse me. Well, the and and I want to go back to your point about about Kirby and the New Gods and all of the Fourth World stuff because Kirby did it for both DC and Marvel. He did mm -hmm. he did the New Gods over at uh, New Gods were DC, right? right. And then mm -hmm. you've got the Eternals and, and you've got all all of that going on in in because Dark Dark Side is actually part of the Eternals family tree. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no. Hang on. Hang on. New Thanos. Thanos is part. Because here's the thing. I mean, Kirby invented both of these, invented both of these characters and they're the same guy. Well, no, it wasn't Darkseid Jim Starlin? Way back in the day, I think it was Kirby. I think Starlin made him like... Starlin wrote... The, the stories that made that made okay yeah in in any case my point being 
that if you look at both the DC Starlin Starlin created the Starlin created the character. Starlin did create the character. Okay. So you look at both the Dark Side and the Apocalypse and all of that group, and you look at the stuff over at the uh, over at Marvel. They're the Roman and Greek gods. This is I mean it's it's ancient mythology as aliens. Mm-hmm. And it it's just basically putting a new skin on the on the couch. It's it's you know here it is. We've seen all of this before. Well, and you look at it has, it's built right into the to the names of the Eternals. They're very their their names are essentially Icarus, yeah, Athena. You know they're and that's and that's the premise of the characters. Of course, is that in in the history of mankind, they've looked upon them and thought they were gods because they had these abilities and they didn't. They kept living around the place for a really long time, so clearly they must be made of special, right? Um, So, um, and that kind of comes back to this thing we've always been doing as storytellers, which is we create these characters that are both like us and very different from us. And then we put them through a whole series of situations mm-hmm. that we can relate to, but are also situations that are completely outside our experience. Right. And in the, the, the push and pull between those two things, the, the character who is just like me versus the character who is nothing like me. And that push and pull, how these characters interact and these situations that are familiar and different um, come together is kind of the basis of, you know, everything from from the the first time someone sat around a campfire and, and, and told the members of their tribe that there was, you know, a thing that happened that was beyond them, that was new, that wasn't their own lived experience. Yeah. Um, and I think that you end up with these... Um, the, the elements might always be the same, or at least big buckets that are super similar to each other. Mm-hmm. But there's we keep we keep doing new spins on those ideas pretty well. I mean, I think that the 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 remakes and the sequels and the reboots and the reimaginings and the Marvel Cinematic Infinite Universe and the Halloween Forever <laughs> and the Exorcist reboot and all these different things. Yeah, we're getting you know the the continuation of the 40-year-old saga. Um, you know, uh, I'm not complaining about new Halloween movies by the way. Jamie Lee Curtis can can go, you know, be a badass in those movies all she wants. I'm going to watch them because they're trying to make good movies. They're not just trying to crank out a sequel, right? Some of them. Well, yeah, and I think that the the one thing I can say about this crop of of going back and doing, you know, picking up where the story was left off or right. whatever, there at least seems to be for some of these directors, um, David Michael Green, um, the folks who are doing, you know, the um, the new Chucky series. Uh, and a lot of this is happening in the horror space, guys. Again, if you're not if you're not a horror fan, you're you are missing out on a lot of original content and a lot of a lot of considered returns to original storylines. Um, so I'm like I said, I'm a huge uh, mixed feelings about the most recent Halloween film. I'm I'm I'm, I'm yeah. but the first one was actually 
welcome to horror sequels kids <laughs> um you know the the first one in this trilogy um the new candy man um some of these series the people have really considered what they're trying to do and whether you like them or not they're at least trying to tell good stories versus cranking out a sequel because we got the rights as a la the hellraiser series speaking of which let me ask you this have you seen the news this came out today uh, and I didn't know this was a thing, but they've uh, they've started announcing cast on this. Robert De Niro and his company is co-producing with a couple of other production companies getting in here, doing a sequel, and they're calling it a sequel, not a reboot. It's a sequel to the movie that he did with Charles Grodin. Midnight Run? Midnight Run is getting a sequel. And I'm sitting here thinking... Why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, After I'm, all okay. this time. I'm not saying you can't do it. But who has been... Who's been clamoring for a sequel to Midnight Run? Um, maybe the story is just all kinds of brilliant and everyone is just like, we've got to make this movie because some... Some writer sat there and went, I always wanted to... I'm having a hard time saying the sentence. Some <laughs> know, writer right? really wanted to know what <laughs> happened next? Well, it it has me wondering because I'm like, how do you... And I liked Midnight Run. I, it, it's, it's a fun movie. I think yeah. it's, it's, a, I, I, it's, it's a good movie. I'm, but not every movie know. needs a sequel. I mean, no, if, if you're going to do that, I mean, you could do a sequel to... Uh, Oh, what was that one with Billy D. Williams and Parker Stevenson? Um, they were cops. They were they were they were police officers. I don't. Well, that narrows it down. I to know, about right? A billion it's, it's, films in the eighties. But there's there's that there's um, um, Running Scared. Why don't we get a Why don't we get a sequel to Running Scared? Have Billy Crystal play the police chief now? You know, I mean. Gregory Hines is gone, but we still got Billy Crystal. See, you know, but the thing is, there are certain there are certain things, and and Hollywood hasn't learned this lesson, by the way. <laughs> um, there are certain stories that if you don't have that original person in it, yeah, um, bringing back whatever surviving member of the cast doesn't always work. I'm not saying it can't. I'm saying there are times it definitely does. And, and don't don't think I don't appreciate those stories when they work. Because I do. But at the same time, there it's like, uh, could you could you really make that movie without Gregory Hines? Well, I don't think you could. Are, but I well, think okay. also You could. You could, but why would you want to? What is it? You never you know, you, you know uh you never stop to think about whether you should. Wasn't it Jeff Goldblum, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, the the other one, you look at you look at something like, um, oh, my brain just just left me for it because um, I I had a I had, well uh, I had an idea one time, the streets of San Francisco. Mm. You could do an update of the streets of San Francisco because. Sure. It doesn't have to be the same characters because, and this is back before Richard Hatch died, because my thought was, 
Richard Hatch could be chief of detectives or something, and and mm-hmm. Michael Douglas is still around, and he could be the chief of police or a police commissioner or something. Carl Malden's gone, but you know his character could have the headstone, and you know you have the June Cleaver. I'm worried about the Beaver scene, right? Mm-hmm. right? And and it's handing off the handing off the baton to the to the next Starsky and Hutch, right? So I had those thoughts. I think. It would be interesting to see, but do we need it? Do, do, would there be a demand for it? And would they get it right? Because I mentioned Starsky and Hutch, all of these different things. If you, if they did a, a new Streets of San Francisco, it, they'd 21 Jump Street it. But at the same time, the 21 Jump Street movie was actually one of the better versions of how to do that right because they riffed on the original tv show in a funny way and then went off and told their own story that's one of the few i think actually got the tone right and recognized that there while there was humor in it it didn't need to be necessarily disrespectful to the original material yeah. uh, or treat the original material like it was a joke versus something that just didn't necessarily age well because how we consume our stories changed. And I think that that's, I mean, look, no one, if you, if someone tried to bring back the love boat now, <laughs> well, we're on our fourth iteration of fantasy Island yeah, but I still maintain that Malcolm McDowell's version was the best reboot you could get because it completely leaned into the fact that Mr. Work is terrifying. Well, I like I I kind of like the idea, and I'm I'm intrigued by the idea of this new one that's out that just got a just got a season two order because Rosalind Sanchez plays a descendant of Mr. Work. This is actually the one reboot out of all of these that's technically a sequel. To the right. original one. The other two, they live off in their own own world. But this one is actually directly connected. At least they say it is. That movie, by the way, was Shooting Stars. Billy Dee mm. Williams and, and Parker Stevenson, okay. they're actors. They play detectives on TV and they get fired. So they decide to go and be private detectives on their own. It was a TV movie. I remember watching it. But, Wasn't there a Ryan Ryan Reynolds film where did a riff on that? I mean, there's it's it's, it's, it's possible. There have been films that have followed up uh, with that with that idea. I think. Uh, well, and, and how many times you know, have we seen in 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 TV shows or animated pictures where you have the actor who's doing the ride along with the cops? Uh, wasn't there how uh, it would it, Will Ferrell and Matt Damon didn't they just do one here a few years ago like that? I, 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 it's hard to tell with Will Ferrell movies. Um, <laughs> Will Ferrell has made one good movie. Mm. Okay, I'm two maybe, because depending on your taste, there are a lot of people that think that Elf is a good movie. I'm not as bi- I'm not a big fan of Will Ferrell, so I actually have not watched Elf. I still have not seen Elf, and I'm seen perfectly fine, fine with that. But the it's- one that he did, where um, Emma Thompson is the narrator, mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman's, and I can't uh, uh, I can't remember the name of it. 
that's the one movie that I've seen Will Ferrell act. Well, it's again, it's a reminder that comedians, when given the right opportunity, yeah. Um, well, okay, so he did uh, 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 Stranger Than Fiction, by the way. Is yeah, the film. yeah, and, and it's wonderful. If you haven't seen it, folks, I highly uh, recommend checking it out. But his his voice work in Megamind is always going to be. Uh, I'm, I'm always I I liked Megamind a lot. Yeah, but he's still Will Ferrell in that. Yeah, but it's it it's works. The best. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It's it's Will Ferrell doing Will Ferrell in really the the best possible way because it fits in the story. Yeah. I mean, it actually, he's the right guy for the role. Um, and I have to admit, Talladega Nights. It's a dumb movie, but <laughs> yeah. See, it's I also a fun dumb. Movie. I haven't seen that either. I, and it's just been one of those things where I'm like, eh, I it's it's Will Ferrell. It's okay, it's the same problem. I've, yeah, yeah, it's the same problem I've got with Adam Sandler, to be honest. And I hate to yeah. lump the two of them together because Will Ferrell could actually be, you know, great. Uh, yes, Christopher uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with Robert Downey Jr. Um, first of all, folks, if you have not seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, uh, Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. This is a film noir, a modern day film noir comedy crime caper. <laughs> and it is incredibly fun. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it really is great. And it's, it's Robert Downey Jr. really before Iron Man. I mean, it's that point where his, his career is in this sort of nebulous place. And, Val Kilmer was still, I mean, it was, it was before his health issues, but it was like after his big, you know, the fact that he was his gigantic star was after that period. Both of these guys were really interesting places in their career. And they made this really fantastic spin on some very distinct story tropes. Isn't that Shane um, Black wrote that? Shane Black wrote that. Yeah. And it's, it's f- so much fun. It's it's literally it, it's uh, personally it's, I think it's Shane Black's best movie, um, and it's one of my favorite uh, uh, modern. I, I'm a film noir guy. Yeah. Give give me a really well crafted modern noir, uh, and I'm always I'm always pleased to see it. Uh, but this is this is a really great film. You guys should check it out if you haven't seen it. You know what we ought to do? It we at some point we ought to we ought to go through a list because we talk about Will Ferrell is always Will Ferrell. Adam Sandler is always Adam Sandler. Ryan Reynolds, you know, same kind of thing. You look at some of these character actors now, William Shatner, for example, and maybe we should look at some of the, some of the actors and actresses in science fiction who play the same character over and over and over again. You know, because... John Wayne did it. William Shatner does it, sort of. Um, maybe, maybe we should look at that at some point and say, oh, okay. But also, that's... John Wayne played Genghis Khan. <laughs> William <laughs> Shatner was in Manos Hands of Fate, wasn't he? I don't know. Was he? <laughs> oh, what's the name of the? What's the Shatner movie? Because uh, uh, he's I mean... in he's in one he's in some just. Uh, Kingdom uh, of the Spiders. Make, 
I remember well because I was I was uh, I was uh, reading the the biographies the the behind the scenes books that Mark Cushman did on Star Trek at the times between he's not in that he's not in that movie that's not what I'm thinking all right in the time between the series and you got the animated stuff and then the movies developing William Shatner was working all the time I mean he was taking just about any job that he could get because they weren't stars after Star Trek. Right. You know, I mean, Nimoy went off and just started doing theater. Everybody else had, had essentially been typecast. And Shatner was like, okay, well, I've got to be doing everything that's not Jim Kirk because I've got bills to pay. I've got alimony to pay. I've got the girls to, 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 to raise. And he was doing stock theater in the summer. He was doing guest shots on just about every single TV show that was out right. there. You know, he was he was working all the time and barely making money. Right. Yeah. Christopher says it was Incubus. It was Incubus. That is correct. Right. That is the one I just found it here. Uh, filmed in Esperanto. Oh, is that the one? That's the oh. one. That's the one where, yeah. Esperanto. Fascinating idea. So, so maybe language, we should... if you're not familiar with Esperanto, folks, it's a, it's a completely created language, and it was created by people who were very, very bright. And they came up with this really interesting idea, had this universal language that we could all learn and we could all communicate with each other, which is a great idea. The problem is that's not how language works. <laughs> we Language, language is a, a thing that grows organically. It evolves over time. We steal, English is a great example of this, of course, we steal from every other language we come in contact with. Yeah. Uh, and and we, then we make we make new versions of those words. Esperanto, the, the uh, so it'd be somewhere akin to slightly worse than trying to get all of America to adopt the metric system, <laughs> which we should because it's more Maybe, accurate and more useful maybe we should do maybe we should do standard, an episode but... we should do an episode in esperanto maybe <laughs> or or uh, old i don't know i don't have time to learn learn a language i'm not going to use old english one that april see that could be a little more fun than esperanto <laughs> i don't that, know uh, i don't know i don't know well uh, i mean yeah, so. you, you, i i think and maybe this is another topic at some point we talk about created languages because Klingon, Vulcan, sure. you know, Mark Okrand coming up with all of these different languages for the for the for the extraterrestrials, for the non-humans in the Star Trek world. And then you have the 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 patter of Firefly, for example, that mixes in a bunch sure. of different languages altogether. I don't know. It might, might, might be. Well, a, a es, es, honestly, Esperanto was probably too early. It was 1965. Yeah. This is the 1960s, right? This really was a thing. And if it had come out in the era of the internet... Was it the 60s when that came out? Yeah, uh, uh, Incubus was 65. So Esperanto was, what, 50s, middle 50s to the 60s? Really was its its, its period of generation, I think. Um, but, you know, it's... Um, if, if the internet oh. had existed back then, it I probably would have... That's a big deal. Esperanto was created by a Polish ophthalmologist. Sure. In 1887. Oh my. Yeah. 
Interesting. Roll that roll back my, my internal clock on that one. L.L. Zamenhof, and he first described the language in Dr. Esperanto's International Language, which he published in five languages. <laughs> well, sure. Well, sure. You, you, so. you got to try and build your audience, right? And you don't just want to have one, one group of people do it. You want everybody to do it. It's a universal language, right? Yes, that's right. So, well, maybe, maybe, we, do a, maybe do, we do an episode in Klingon. Or we could talk about going. Yeah, I think I think it'd be interesting to take a look at constructed languages from different shows and and whatnot. But uh, well, I, I think that could be also a, a build on on some of the more uh, interesting invented cultures in mm. science fiction. Because one of the things that that, that you can get in some um, some stories big and some stories small is some really fascinating other versions of how. A culture can work. Yeah. We're familiar with ours. We understand how things are. But tell me every now and again, authors do a really good job of making something really alien, which is kind of fun. So, all right, I'm making notes. We're gonna add it to the list. Start right there. There. There you go. All right. Okay. And with that, uh, we will go <laughs> ahead and head out tonight. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. If you have feedback, if you're watching us not live. Uh, you can still leave a comment uh, or send us uh, send us an email, h2o at sci-fi for me.com. I want to thank everybody in the chat. I see Mazurus, Sci-Fi Snob, Christopher. Uh, who else did I see? I saw somebody. Uh, that's everybody over there. And over at Odyssey, we've banned yet another bot. So anyway, that happens. People doing welcome the thing the, that they do. Welcome to the internet, right? Welcome, welcome to the internet. All right. Okay. If you have just discovered us and uh, you're brand new to the channel, we do uh, hope you stick around and uh, invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on, because we will do all of this most days of the week uh, with various different shows that you can enjoy. And uh, hopefully there's here something that you like. Maybe you share it with some people. Hello, Eastland, showing up there in the chat. Good to see everybody there. All right, so that's going to do it for us uh, this week. Next week, hopefully in the studio. Hopefully and we'll figure out what we're going to talk to and talk about. And we'll let you know. Yeah. So find us on the socials and we'll let you know there. All right. Good night, sir. Good night. Thanks for watching, folks. We All appreciate right. it. Good night, everybody. Thanks for being here. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.